This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to find out more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In this episode, Caroline discusses the somatic unfolding of the awakening heart. She says that the journey involves three concentric circles, an outer circle of enchantment, an inner circle that is like a ring of fire, and a third circle of total freedom, the clear circle of brightness. This talk was given in 2016 at a course Caroline taught in Boulder, Colorado called In Love with Life. Evening, everybody. Thank you for coming out tonight, our rescheduled evening. I saw we, I see we lost quite a few, but I think that's what happens. <laughs> I also like to um, welcome our live stream audience from all over the world. We're really happy to have you join us tonight. This is uh, In Love With Life, which is a six-week class that we're holding here in our Boulder Center. And it's really about awakening the heart, about bodhicitta. And we're exploring uh, bodhicitta from several different perspectives over these six weeks. And you're just gonna jump right in with us. This is our second session. This is turning out to be a bodhicitta spring, more or less. Reggie's been teaching bodhicitta on the live stream for the past couple of weeks, and I think even before Dotton, he was doing that. And um, he's going to be recording uh, a series on bodhicitta uh, later in the spring. And we're also doing a program uh, at Blazing Mountain in late March, which is taking the teachings we're going to be doing here, another step. And then even um, closer than that, and I think many of you know this, Reggie and I are teaching a weekend at Naropa about the intimate relationship and about the tantric sort of consort relationship. So tonight, as I've said in the note that I sent you all, we're going to work on Maitri, which is unconditional friendliness to ourselves first and complete acceptance of who we are, you know, as we are. And we have to do a little bit of work to get there. I talked last week about, you know, in a pretty straightforward way about the ground, the path, and the fruition of the awakening heart. And tonight I want to look a little bit in a different way at the path, the actual path and put all the things we go through in terms of awakening our heart or learning to awaken our heart into a bigger framework. Because you might get to a point in doing this bodhicitta where you say, what the hell am I doing? This is painful, it's awful, it's, you know, it's ruining my life. So I want to put it into a little bit of a framework so we know what we're doing here. The way I was looking at it was sort of as three concentric circles 
So I want to say something else first. I want to talk about why it's awakening heart instead of awakened heart. Because if you look up bodhicitta, you know, you see that it's often called awakened heart, as if it's a done deal, you know, once you get there. But we don't use that, as you've probably noticed in this lineage. We use the awakening. And part of that is because the process is so somatic. You know, we, we know it from within. We know the process, you know, and we know what a profound and sort of continuous process it is as we go through our lives doing this work and allowing and assisting our hearts to open. So the first point of why we call it awakening is that it's so very somatic, uh, as we'll be seeing in the next few weeks and have seen a little bit already. And the second reason we call it awakening um, is because it isn't done. It doesn't get done. You know, it's not like we do all this work and we're awakened, hallelujah, we're there. It's always, you know, if we think back to the thousand-petaled lotus that we use as a visualization for much of our bodhicitta practice, for those of you who've done it before, it's just constantly sort of opening and unfurling and becoming larger and becoming more able to be in the world. So that's why, you know, we talk about it as awakening. And then to go back to um, talking about the path, and I think I said that I'm looking at it right now as sort of three concentric circles. And the outer circle is sort of like looking at the earth. You know, it's the whole surface of the earth. And what I mean by that is it's teachings that are really without limit. They're for everybody in every situation, all the time. And they're very, very accessible and they're practical and they're very uh, real. And uh, it's like the 10 points practice we were doing uh, last week. You know, they're powerful, but they're very, very accessible, I guess, is the word for it. So it's like the surface of the earth is kind of an enchanted forest in a way. And there's a forest like this in Crestone, because this is what I see when I think of it. It's the the trail that goes up to the South Crestone Lake, if you've ever seen it. you know. And the first time I saw it, it really did look like the enchanted forest of a fairy tale with um, sort of that filtered light and the moss and tons of flowers and fairy tale toadstools and, you know, all the things that make a forest sort of enchanted in our minds. And, you know, if we think about fairy tales or folk tales, um, enchanted forests are places of refuge often, you know, places of comfort where you can find solace, you know, where, where you can rest, where you can be protected. But they also can be places of adventure, And they can also be pretty threatening, you know, if we think about Red Riding Hood and, you know, some of those fairy tales. And the reason I think that they're threatening is because they represent places of liminality and um, transformation. And liminal, you know, liminal spaces are these spaces that are thresholds. You know, we're on a threshold from the old ways, which in this case are probably like our 
old identities and our personalities, the structures we've built, you know, to keep ourselves okay in our lives. And then whatever's on the other side of that threshold, you know, a different person. So at this level, the practices are very, very transformative. And I would call all of the work we do with meditating with the body, if you're familiar with that, or your breathing body, um, all the things that we call the ground yana. And there are many, many practices. And there are practices of connection, you know, connection with our bodies like we did last week. There are practices of opening. There are practices of touching, you know, the vastness of who we are. There's a lot here. And there's certainly not a first step or a preliminary And if we decided, for example, to just do the practice we did last week for the rest of our lives, just 10 points in that bodhicitta style every day for the rest of our lives, it would be tremendously, tremendously transformative. And um, we could make a very deep journey of connection with ourselves and with the world. But the question is, why do we want to go further then? You know, what... Why do we need to? Well, one thing is we don't. We can do that. You know, we can work with this sort of enchanted forest level of the path forever if we want to. But the next step, if we want to take it, is what we're doing here and what we'll be doing for the next few weeks. And this one I sort of think of as a ring of fire. And this is, you know, Reggie and I have been talking about this and sort of laughing about how it is to be in this ring of fire. Um, Actually, Johnny Cash says it well. And I forget how it goes. Does anyone know? Down, down, down. Burns, burns, burns in this ring of fire. I'm going down, 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 and the flames get higher. I think that's it. Anyway, um, it's kind of like that. And so what is the ring of fire? The ring of fire is what we actually have to go through to cross the other threshold, which we'll get to in a minute. And what we have to go through is working with all the stuff that gets in the way of meeting our lives more directly and of actually loving ourselves and loving others. You know, our, all the ego constructs, you know, all the neurotic emotions, destructive emotions, all the difficult um, relationships, you know, all those things that kind of keep us from the total freedom that we talked a little bit about last week. So that's what we're doing in the ring of fire, you know, as we go through it. And some of it is quite intense and um, pretty amazingly painful, as well as awe-inspiring and opening and freeing. So I'm going to come back to that, you know, once we start doing this practice. But I want to talk about the innermost ring, you know, sort of the secret ring. Mm -hmm. And the question arises, of course, when you're in the midst of this ring of fire, you know, why? You know, what's on the other side? It's got to be pretty good to keep going um, at times. And I think what is on the other side and we know this because we've experienced it in our practice, is one way of saying it is the clear circle of brightness. 
freedom, no mind. That's really what's on the other side. And all through our practice, we've caught glimpses of this, and that's what keeps us going, and that's what tends to motivate us. And the glimpses of this space, and no mind, you know, can be sometimes blindingly sort of life-changing in an instant. And then sometimes it's a little more um, occluded, like through a glass darkly, but at least we have an inkling of what it's like to be on that other side. So that's what keeps us going. And I think that the 11th century Chan master Hongzhi, which, you know, if you've been following Dharma Ocean for a while, you've been hearing about him a lot lately. Um, he's become a favorite in terms of um, describing what the path is like in the most beautiful poetic terms. So I actually want to read to you his description of this um, clear circle of brightness. It's so beautiful. The field of boundless emptiness is what exists from the very beginning. You must purify, cure, grind down, brush away all the tendencies you have fabricated into apparent habits. Then you can reside in the clear circle of brightness. The deep source, transparent down to the bottom, can radiantly shine and can respond unencumbered to each speck of dust without becoming its partner. So that's the innermost ring. To listen to more of Reggie and Caroline's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats and online programs, and explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your journey with somatic meditation, please visit dharmaocean.org. Music is by Jeff Beale and Noang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion.